Yeah, so have you guys just been like running around? No? Yeah, classrooms and uh, yeah, basically classrooms, especially assembly. Oh, what do you think of it so far? It's awesome. Yeah, I visited uh, the Webster's Institute last year for Consumer Dynamics. Mm -hmm. It has a little bit of a similar kind of vibe going on. Yeah, yeah. So that was my first experience. I'd never been to a prep school before, or like a, you know, we're like a boarding school and stuff. Right. And, and like, I was like, damn, it's like college. You know? <laughs> yeah, and then for like sure. this one too, it's like so much like a college. You guys have like even nicer stuff. Like these dudes are looking so cool. Honestly, like they build them inside the classroom. Really? Yeah, they oh bring in the parts, yeah. Yeah. I'm from Los Angeles, so, yeah. you know. Yeah, my girlfriend's from LA. Oh, nice. What yeah, part? Whittier. Nice. She grew up in Whittier and then uh, lived in Culver City. Oh, yeah. Which is about hour. That's awesome. I live in uh, Santa Monica, so, yeah. like, yeah. close by, yeah. Cool. That's awesome. awesome. What, uh, and then you came out here to go to school? Right? Yeah, this is, like, my uh, second year. I came out here as a sophomore, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm going to come back in about two Perfect, yeah. No worries. But, yeah, uh, you know. It's it's been a ride. Yeah. I I love it here though. You do? Yeah. yeah. Do you miss LA? Less or uh, too much? No, I I do definitely, especially during you know December and yeah. stuff. Uh, but like honestly, it's it's you know, it's like two different worlds almost. You know? Yeah. Like. Oh my god, your culture is super different. Seriously, like if I'm here, I'm missing you know back home, and if yeah. I'm back home, I'm missing here. Yeah. Like you know, it always feels like I'm supposed to be two places at once. Yeah. So. Is it hard to get uh, you know, not as bad as you think. <laughs> yeah, I can just like want to put this on like uh, if you have a yeah collar and stuff. But yeah, you know, it was uh it was like the running joke I guess for all the you know West Coast people like, uh, you know the first winter it's gonna be terrible and stuff. Right, but like right. first week sucks. Um, yep. you know, but it was good. A little cold, but you know. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, if you could actually uh, like put it on like the inside uh, collar, yeah, if you can. What is it right there? Uh, just so it's like a little bit closer. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Like there, just you might only want to do your inside. Like yeah. Hello, hello. Close enough. Okay. Close enough. Uh, perfect. Honestly, yeah. All right, um, and if you guys could just uh, like, you know, give an intro, like uh, say your names and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Um, hi, uh, my name is Kai Carlson Wheat. Um, I'm one of the co-directors of the Riding the Highline film that was shown at Exeter earlier today. And I'm a, I'm a poet and uh, a teacher, I guess. And I'm Anders Carlson Wheat. Uh, the second half of the brother team, and uh, we've, we've got a couple of uh, co-chapbooks here that we're also just kind of link link to the film, uh, and we're both from Minnesota. Grew up in Minnesota. Um, yeah, is that good? Oh yeah, like that's perfect, honestly. Okay. Um, you know, and I'm just wondering. Uh, <laughs> I I loved the entire concept and just like you know watching you guys actually go out on the rails, like you know hopping the trains and stuff like that. Um, can I just ask you guys like? What was that like initially when you first started doing it? Uh, you know, either as kids or something like that, or even now. So. Yeah, um, it's the scale of it is hard to imagine before you've done it. it. The trains are so large; they have so much weight, they have so much cargo, and they're moving faster than you think, and they're uh, unpredictable. And like when you.
you start learning about all that and you first are going up near them when they're either stopped in the yard or moving, you realize how like animated they are. Like they're a creature more uh, than they are a, than they are an inanimate thing. Uh, if they're moving, it's like, whoa, they're huge and they're tall and they're dragging past you as if a building is passing you. And then if once you, if you get on them, it's, they're making all these noises. They're doing like pss, 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 and it's like huge clanky metal noises like and it starts to feel like you're in a hellscape of sound like you're from here in like a David Lynch film or something <laughs> and like uh, there's just a lot of stimulus going on that, you, from, that from a distance if you're just not a trained person and you're just glancing at a train it's like you're just not aware of all that it's yeah. like, if you're up close it's like so much yeah and we, we grew up next to a train yard so that was like part of the origin of, of this like interest I think for both of us was this uh, this train yard that was like two blocks away from our house. So we heard trains when we were kids out the window every night coming through town. They'd slow down for the turn. They'd go to this factory uh, that was also near our house called the Malta Meal Factory, which is a kind of generic cereal uh, company. They they have they like make cereal that's like. You know, cocoa puffs, but it's called something. Else, you know, <laughs> bigger bags, bigger bags. Less money. That, that was the stuff my mom used to buy. So, yeah, 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 yeah. We used to, and, and every every day uh, we'd wake up as kids um, to a new smell in the air, mm. uh, depending on what cereal they were making. So it'd be like a Cheerios day. We like cinnamon toast crunch. Cinnamon day. toast crunch day was like the best day. <laughs> um, but it, it, you know, that was that was right near our house. So there was all this industrial stuff. There was this train yard, and we'd go down there and play as kids. And uh, would find occasionally like these hobo camps and boxcars that were open, and there would be remnants of uh, somebody's adventures in these cars. And um, you know, I think a lot of people wonder about that. They travel by train yards and happen upon these things, and, and just wonder about the lives of people that, that have gone on these trains and these kinds of these kinds of trips, but um, that definitely was like a little bit of the, the beginning for us in that interest. And later on when we started do, doing uh, train hopping stuff, um, it didn't feel so foreign for us to be around trains and, and check it out that way. Um, and how did the poetry stuff start? Were you guys like always interested in that or you know, did that develop later on? Well, we grew up skating together. We were both like rollerbladers, but like the trick style of rollerblading, it's uh, like skateboarding. Like grinding down rails. Grinding, and stuff, grinding yeah. down rails, uh, <laughs> jumping stairs, uh, getting in a lot of trouble with cops, <laughs> interacting with a lot of homeless people in the streets, like part of the street culture of the 90s. And we were really involved in that world uh, all through the night, like the later part of the 90s. And we like teamed up a lot on that stuff, and we made films, uh, and took a lot of still photography, and um, so we've we've always had like a lot of teaming up kind of elements. Uh, specifically with poetry, I think we kind of have our you know a little bit of different stories, and you want to jump in. Yeah, I mean, like um, I mentioned this at a couple of classes today, but um, I started writing um, love poems when I was really young. You know, when I was in like elementary school, and I would develop crushes on people in the class mm. and uh, I was a little shy about telling them that I had this crush. So I would, I would be, feel compelled to write a little poem. And um, uh, this kind of just became a, a pattern or like, a, you know, a habit in a weird way. Just like of expressing yourself? Like, uh, yeah. 
I'm, like, I'm expressing a, an emotion that I felt like I couldn't publicly come forward with. I couldn't admit uh, to somebody else directly. Mm. And um, through like you know verbal communication, it just didn't work. And so I, I, I felt like poetry was the only way. So I'd write these little poems, and I would I would give them to people, and sometimes they were effective, and sometimes they were just weird, um, <laughs> or like they were received as sort of weird. But um, that was like the first uh, exposure to, to feeling like I could write poetry. Or I, I needed to at certain times, mm. and it just grew like like Honors mentioned. We did all this skating, and you know, largely during high school, I wasn't writing a lot. Um, and then as, as the skating kind of like, you know, died out, actually, you got hurt a little bit more, you know, your body can't like endure that stuff forever. So I'd get hurt and then I would, uh, kind of immediately turn to, to poetry and writing as the next way to spend my time. Right. Um, that's awesome. Just like going from rollerblading and then, you know, breaking your arm or something like that yeah. and just writing poetry. That's, it was exactly, that's awesome. like with skating, we were so into that world that yeah. like all our friends were skaters. Mm. So we didn't know anyone else, and we had nothing else to do. So if we got hurt, literally we were just sitting in our rooms feeling sorry for ourselves, and, and you experienced this too. And um, I would just I would just start start writing, mm. um, probably about how I was sad that I wasn't able to skate, but uh, that was the next thing that kind of came out of me. Yeah. And for me, like when I was little, I was dyslexic, and so I wrote everything backwards, and. Uh, had trouble learning how to read and stuff and so wasn't as connected with stuff like that back then but did really like uh, to like uh, mimic speech like mm. from you know sitcoms and stuff like kind of like memorize what the things people said and stuff um, but for me like getting more into poetry was uh, mostly with the help of teachers in college and that like me in with their help kind of realizing more what poetry could be and what, what I could how I could be part of that and um, but also it was very it was very natural at that stage because it was so much like uh, the issues of aesthetics that we learned through skating that we learned through photography and film it's like a lot of the the, the rules are similar and the ways you break the rules are similar mm. um, and so that was kind of it, it but then even after that like there's definitely been moments in my life where I've said, is this, is this really what I'm going to pursue? And having kind of existential, you know, a little, a little mini crisis and stuff. And, uh, like kind of thus far, I, I think that's probably past me, but like the, during those times, there's been like some moment where I've like reconnected with it and realized like, that, you know, that I was going to like keep going. Mm. And there's sort of like, just to build up that there's sort of like this outlaw, element to writing that we found in skating too and and um, when we skated you know skaters are sort of on the fringes of society and like um, looking in at culture and seeing ways that they can reimagine urban landscapes and as writers and poets it's it also seems like you're doing a lot of observing your life and observing what's possible um, ways to rearrange that life and imagine it in a different way and so there aesthetically there is this this Kind of weird, like outlaw outsider territory in both of these. Yeah, like almost like a counterculture kind of thing. I yeah, guess, you know. exactly.
there's a counterculture thing and there's a narrative element to, to poetry and to, and to like the skate world. There's always, you, know, you go out skating to theoretically, once you're a serious skater, you're like trying to get tricks on, on yeah, film. Yeah. That's like a big part of it. But every day becomes a story. You know, it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, we went down to US Bank and then we got busted by the cops and they kicked us out. So we had to go over to this other place and then the same cops found us again. So then there was this, you know, then it becomes yeah, yeah. a story, right? And po poetry is often built on those kind of elements of like, you know, the, the drama of, of a moment that you're trying to capture, uh, or, I mean, sometimes it's more rhetorical or something, but um, I think we've always just been, like, really fascinated by, by stories and, the, and, like, the drama you can build, um, you know. Yeah. And I think also, you know, with skating and stuff, like, my cousin, uh, you know, he skateboards and stuff, like, down in, like, Venice and stuff like that, um, and, you know, he always tells these, uh, these stories, but it, a lot of it's, you know, coming from this creative side of him, um, and I think, like, you know, that's kind of like an aspect of skating that people really don't understand, well, don't really get until they, uh, I guess, do it, is that creative side of when you're actually doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a whole, it's a whole thing. And skaters, um, skaters have done a good job of reimagining these landscapes in unique and novel ways. And before skating came along, um, you know, a handrail was considered something that you use as a utility kind of thing, and um, now you see handrails that are designed in weird ways so people can't skate them. You see handrails that are capped and ledges that are capped so people can't, uh, you know, because there's just been a little bit of a backlash against it. And you see all these different skate parks that have cropped up all over all over the country in different ways, and um, skaters uh, really have sort of like found ways to imagine athletics in, in, a, in a very unique and new way. And um, I feel like we, we really felt influenced by that and uh, have tried to bring some of that energy into writing. Mm. Um, and also, I just wanted to ask about the film and stuff. Uh, you know, you, you guys said uh, during the Assembly's uh, talk that you guys attempted to, you know, film it uh, was it like three years prior and stuff? Um, you know, how was that? Like, was it like frustrating when you just like couldn't get the footage and stuff like that? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was two years prior, and it was like uh, so that was two thousand eleven, and it was just one of those trips where everything kind of went wrong from the very get go. The beginning of that trip was that we had four gallons of water for the trip, two gallons each, which is not enough water for four days, <laughs> but and especially in hot. Weather yeah, when yeah. wind is constantly blowing in your face, but that was the water we had. And when I think I don't know if you heard the story or not, but when we were running up to the train to get on it, it was moving, and we had to run inside it. And we threw our water bottles into the well of the train, and then climbed up the ladder. And when we climbed up the ladder, we looked down, and our water bottles had exploded. So we began the trip with zero water, and that was like a really fucked up way to start. <laughs> and, then, and then we had to like the train when the train would stop, we'd like try to like get off and find water. water yeah. But it was always like finding like a little water bottle that the conductors threw out windows oh, or like trying to gather things in the train yard. And at one point we had duct taped up the bottle itself, but it was empty and Kai ran off to, yeah. to the this uh, trailer home to try to fill it. But then it was- Well then, yeah, so <laughs> there was this really weird situation, but like I ran to this trailer home that was nearby to try to fill it and it's in the middle of the night. This is like two o'clock in the morning. I'm worried that you know, I'm going to turn on, we were trying to find like a hose ticket. Mm. I'm worried that like somebody living in one of these places are going to hear us 
take in the water and come out with a you know, you know shotgun. Yeah, yeah. Like and um, luckily that didn't happen. Uh, and I, I filled up this water jug and um, ran back to the train. And we were so thirsty at this point that we both started chugging this water immediately, just like slamming it down. And uh, we had each taken a few swigs, and they were like, "Does this taste kind of funny to you?" And uh, we were like, "Yeah, this tastes a little weird." And we hadn't had our headlamps on or anything, because you don't want to be seen on these trains. A lot of things are done in the dark. So we turn on the headlamp to look in the water, and it's just full of paint chips. Oh. It's just floating in its orange. It's like you know, there are things like almost swimming around in it, growing. Oh God! And we've just been slamming this like paint chip-filled <laughs> water. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that was just like, <laughs> I mean, it, it was so bad. We had, we had like a whole stack of these little mini water bottles, like that hold four or six ounces each. We were trying to combine them to get enough water together to have a sit. It was just like a mess. Oh but on top of this, on top of this, the mosquitoes were horrendous at this time. So while we're like, you know, stuck in this yard, no water, we were trying to sleep in our sleeping bags. And the mosquitoes were so persistent and aggressive that we had our sleeping bags cinched down so that just our lips were showing and we're breathing in and out of like this very small Jeez. hole. And the mosquitoes are biting our lips. And so our lips were getting all swollen up and puffy <laughs> and full of mosquito venom. And um, I mean, it just couldn't have gotten much worse. And that was all, that was all like the first day. Yeah. And then the other... <laughs> That was on the first day, but then Jeez. the other biggest kind of cool part of that trip is that in Washington State, I was, I was standing up to take a photograph on like a bright sunny day, uh, good weather, and a train worker saw me from off the train, and I, I told Kai, I was like, oh shit, he, he might see me, mm. but it was kind of like, we don't know, sometimes they don't care, so the train kept going, but then we stopped uh, a few minutes up the track, and we're kind of wondering what's going on. We're stopping sort of a weird place. And we're stopping in a place where there's a siding, which means there's another line right next to you. Uh, but we weren't parked on the siding, we were parked on the main line, which is kind of weird. And what happened is another train started coming up behind us. We were like, why is there another train coming up? Normally, they don't get that close together. And this second train pulled on to the siding and really slow and began searching the first train oh, before us. And the conductor was looking out the window into each individual well to try to see who, where the riders were. Right. And so we hid. And we had this way we'd like practice hiding. And so we hid in a way where they couldn't see us. And they did a pass and they missed us. And then the train started backing up. And we were thinking, okay, if we just hide as they back up, we'll, they'll, they'll just give up because they'll be tired. But what happened is one of the train workers got off and was walking the far side of the train so that they could look into both sides. Oh. And that dude saw us. And so then suddenly there's this voice that's like, get off the train, you know, and this big dude who looked like Santa Claus with a big oily beard, uh, and like tan, like tan Santa, he was like really tan, and he got, us, he got us off the train, and he was like, kind of grinning about it, but he was like, well, I called the sheriff boys, so I'd get going if I were you. Oh, damn. And we were like in the middle of nowhere, and in Washington Desert, yeah. so we had to like walk out. And we didn't know where the highway was, so we were just blindly walking for four miles. For miles, yeah. <laughs> and then we and then we found a highway, and we were so dehydrated, confused. <laughs> then we were we were hitchhiking on both sides of the highway, just, <laughs> just like anywhere. anywhere. <laughs> we were like, we'll go that way, we'll go the other way. We don't even care. And then 
we decided that, that looked too crazy. Yeah, that then we decided they take the one way. Yeah, but it was just like it was dire. And you know, long story short, we didn't really film any of that because we were going through all this stuff. It was just too. So we crazy. couldn't. We got some cool footage, but we didn't get any story. Right, and, right. Um, yeah. And so we had to try again. And try again, but then the second time we knew the route, we knew what type of shots were there. We had the experience a little bit. And we got lucky. And we got lucky. Time. We had good weather, mm. and it kind of worked out the second time. And that's what you saw today. Yeah, it looks awesome. Um, and if you guys uh, like want to plug the movie and stuff, uh, no, uh, where people can find it, just. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, the film is called Riding the Highline. And uh, if you want to check it out, you can go to www.ridingthehighline.com. We have, uh, you know, a low-budget website, and um, you can watch it from the website. It's on Vimeo, and we've been playing at some film festivals around the country, and uh, the, the next one coming up is the Rochester International Film Festival up in Rochester, New York, uh, and uh, there might be a couple more um, in the spring. Uh, we'll see if we get into other festivals, but... Uh, yeah, just don't bootleg it. Don't bootleg it. <laughs> Um, and also, is there anywhere uh, you know people can find your poetry? Uh, yeah, um, we both have a lot of work online. So if if you search, you know, Kai Carlson Wee or Andre Carlson Wee poetry, um, a lot of stuff will come up. And uh, and if you want to, yeah, and if you want to pick up our chat books, uh, one is published by Organic Weapon Arts, and one is published by Diode Editions. And they have websites you can pull it up. You can if you search our names, you'll find that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah, it was thank a you. pleasure thanks talking. Thanks yeah, yeah. Thanks for hanging out. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you, uh, you know, enjoyed this art school and stuff like that. And, you know, I hope you guys, uh, you know, have a relaxing day and stuff like that. Hopefully yeah. you don't have to go hop on a train back to Minnesota <laughs> after this. Not, but, not yeah. right away. It's been beautiful out, so we've had, we've had like, a great time on yeah. campus. It's a lovely campus. Yeah. Honestly, well, thank you guys so much.